0: You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. My name is Nick, and I am the church planting resident here. And We're planting City Point Church in Urbandale in March, so we're really excited about that. You guys are brave. It is freezing outside. Little known fact about me, I'm allergic to the cold. Most of you did not believe that, but it's true. So I break out in hives and all that stuff so is good. It's fun. It's not fun at all. But it is freezing. It's supposed to be like a high of negative 8 today. And so uh, probably there's more people watching online at home than are here. And so I get that claim to fame this morning. Somebody pointed that out to me. Um, I get a lot of people watching online. It's a really, really cool thing. Anyway, uh, you know that song that they just played is from Psalm 45. And Psalm 45 says, Your throne, O God, is forever. And every time I think of that song, every time we sing that here, every time I read that psalm, I'm reminded that no matter what is going on in my life down here, that God is on his throne. And that thought alone gives me peace. That God's promises stand sure. That like Pastor Todd taught us last week is that God is never late. God is always on time and his promises stand secure, his promises stand sure. So with that thought in mind, however you come here this morning, whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you feel like God is blessing you, whether you feel like your life is falling apart, just remember the thought that God is on his throne and that his throne lasts forever and ever and ever. Somehow that just puts into perspective everything that we could be going on that could be going on in our life right now. Because God's promises will be accomplished. And so with that thought in mind, I just want to read Psalm 46 to you. I just want you to listen. You can follow along in your Bible. It's not going to be on the screen for right now. It will be in a little bit. But just listen to this and let the truth of Scripture just come into your heart and overflow you this morning. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fodder, with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know what the best thing about preaching for me is? I love getting up here and and preaching to you guys and talking to you guys, but the best thing about preaching is the week before. Because the week before, I have to preach this to myself over and over and over again, and I've got to internalize it. And in my life right now, there could not be a better time for the message that I'm going to share with you this morning. Todd said you could preach on whatever you want. And so I thought, I'm going to preach the thing that has impacted me the most in the last year, because when we got into this church planning thing, somebody told us, somebody warned us, it is, you are going to be busier than you have ever been in your life. And that is true. I have never been so busy in my life, and I've never been in so need of frequent rest. And so the, the, the title for this morning is Resting in the Creator, because real rest is soul rest. And soul rest is only found in the creator of rest itself. Because we get really good at, and I do this almost all the time, is holiday time and vacation time. I get into this mode of, I'm going to rest, which means I'm going to sleep in, you know, I'm going to take naps during the day, I'm going to sit on the couch undisturbed drinking coffee, like, so we get really good at physical rest, but if you're like me, vacation time and holiday time is also when I get off of my routine the most, and so it's when I struggle to find time to spend with God. It's when I struggle to, to make time to spend with God, right? Right? And so I want to differentiate between this morning. I'm not just talking about physical rest. I asked one of the the moms from our church, and I think that every mom in the room will understand this and get this. But I said, hey, how was your Christmas? And she was like, it was awesome. I got two naps in one day, right? I mean, for a mom, that is amazing, right? But we can find ways to get physical rest. But oftentimes I come to the end of those seasons, and I feel more exhausted than when I started. I get to the end of holiday time and I'm just like, I need a vacation from my vacation. I am exhausted. But I really think it's because during those times, it's really hard to get the soul rest that we need unless we make it intentional. Genesis 2, verse 1 and 3 talk about the fact that God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day... He set it apart and made it holy, and he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. Now, why did God rest? Did God rest because he needed physical rest? No. God never gets tired. God never gets weary. He rested because he knew that that needed to be a model of what man and women would need, right? And even Jesus says the Sabbath day was created for man, not the man for Sabbath, right? Right? So God sanctifies, he sets apart this day to prove to us that soul rest is the most important kind of rest that we could ever get. Now, here's a question for you. When was the last time you were able to listen to God in silence? I know there's some people in the room, when I just said that, that you're just like, oh, man, that's all I need right now. I just need some silence in my life, and I want to hear from God. When is the last time you were able to listen to God in silence? Heather and I had a friend of ours from college. Every two years about, he comes uh, from Washington, and he stays here with us, And uh, what we know about this friend is that he loves silence. He embraces silence. He is not uncomfortable with silence at all. You could sit there in a room and be squirming because you hate silence, and he's fine, right? And so uh, having conversations with him is like you ask a question, and then he takes a really long time to answer it because he's thinking in silence about what his answer will be. But most of the time, his answer is really wise, really thought out, right? And so before he came... We sent him an email and said, hey, just so you know, here's what our schedule looks like. Like, he was trying to decide, am I going to go see Nick and Heather and their family or not? And so we warned him beforehand, here's what our schedule is going to look like so he could make a wise decision. Right? And then we said, and oh, by the way, we know you love silence. It is the opposite of that nonstop in our house. Right? It's like the the movie Dumb and Dumber. Hey, you want to know the most annoying sound in the world? And... All the time, right? And so Heather and I have come to kind of embrace that noise. I shouldn't say we've come to embrace that noise. We are learning to embrace that noise, right? But the point of that is in order for Heather and I to get rest, in order for Heather and I to meet with God, it has to be intentional. We have to work really hard to create space in our life to listen to God. And I'm not just talking about quiet, okay? If you go to a job every day, you know that when you get home, it's really hard to shut off what happened at work that day, right? When you get home and focus your attention on your family, it is hard to shut off different parts of our life and decompartmentalize, and compartmentalize, sorry, our life to focus on the moment, And so the question is, not just when was the last time you were able to listen to God in quiet, when was the last time you were able to listen to God in the silence, where you were able to intentionally say, God, in these moments, I want to clear my mind of all the distractions, of all the the things that are in the way of me hearing from you. Listening to God in the silence takes intentionality. So we're going to walk through Psalm 46. And when Psalm 46 was written, Israel was going through a time of turmoil. Wars and kingdoms coming against them. And things were just not shaping up good for Israel. But the response in Psalm 46 to what was going on in that time in Israel, is the key to us seeing this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we put our trust in. This is the God that I can truly find rest in because my life is not up to me to figure out. It's up to me to trust God. So if you've got your Bibles, if you're not there yet, be in Psalm 46. These verses will be on the screen as well. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That word present is better translated proven. God is a very proven help in trouble, which means God has a reputation with the nation of Israel in helping them when they cry out to him. God comes to their rescue. God helps them. He is a proven help in time of need. So I was sitting down next to my daughter the other day. On the couch. And I ask this question, I want to ask it to you too. Does God need our help or does God want our trust? Because if you're like me, I'm a fixer, right? Especially when it comes to my wife. Not that my wife needs fixing, but that when there is something wrong in her life that she is in turmoil about, boom, I snap into fix it mode, right? And every Married man in the room, even if you're dating, you should understand this, right? We snap into fix-it mode, and that's a bad idea. Because then she comes back and she says, Nick, just be quiet. Stop trying to fix my problem. All I want you to do is listen to me, right? And so I say, I'm sorry, because that's the right thing to do. And I listen. It's the same thing with God. God does not need our help to fix our problems. God is sovereign over those problems. So do I need to help? Do I need to spring into action to help God solve my problems? Or do I just need to trust him? And then it goes on in verse two. It says, therefore. And anytime in the Bible or anytime in any of literature, you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is the therefore therefore? It's essentially saying, what I just because of what I just said, What I'm about to say is true. So he says, therefore, because God is a proven help in our time of need, because God is a proven refuge and a proven fortress, we will not fear, even though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's saying, even if the worst things that you can think of in your life are happening. We will not be afraid because the character of God shows us that he is a proven help in time of need. I will not be afraid even if the worst things are happening. I have this thing written in my Bible. When I write in the the margin of my Bible, I usually write it in pencil so that if the Spirit of God changes my mind on something later on, I can erase it and change it. Now, I left this in my Bible the way it is, but I have come to disagree with what I wrote. And here's what I wrote. God doesn't cause disaster. He may allow it, and we can not fear because God is our refuge and help and strength. Now, as I've studied Scripture and as I've thought about what I wrote there, even this last week, I don't believe that anymore. I think that sometimes God does cause disaster. And for whatever reason He may cause disaster in someone's life, I am confident of the fact that it is always to receive glory for himself. Because whether God is causing disaster in someone's life to punish the wicked or to bring a wayward child back to himself, I'm not saying that God always causes disaster. I'm saying that sometimes he might in order to bring somebody back to himself. So whether God causes the disaster or whether he allows the disaster in your life, The point is, is that he receives the glory. And the question for us becomes, what is my greatest desire? When bad things, when hard things, when the the, the mountains around me seem to be falling into the sea and everything is crumbling, what is my response to that? Is my greatest desire for my own comfort And for my own way of things getting done or is my greatest desire for God's glory? And I got to wrestle with that because if my greatest desire is for my own will accomplished or for my own comfort received, then I will always be disappointed. But if my greatest desire is to see the glory of God and the will of God accomplished at all costs in any situation in my life, then no matter what happens, I can trust, God, you are still good. God, you are sanctifying me. You are changing me to be more like Jesus through this situation. What is my greatest desire? Is my heart aligned with God's heart, or am I just working really hard to get God to see things my way? And then it goes on, verse four through seven. It's almost an answer to what has already been said, that because God is a proven help in the time of need, we will not fear, even though life seems to be falling apart around us. And then it's almost like there's a, now breathe. It's all gonna be okay, because there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. And then there's this reminder. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, that could be a literal river that he's talking about here, but I don't think so. I think it's it's the fact that he wants Israel to know that there is a a river of peace that is constant and streaming through the nation of Israel for blessing to bless the nations of the earth. That God is a constant and steady stream of blessing in the midst of whatever is going on in your life. It almost echoes Psalm 23. And we're actually going to read that together at the end of our service today. But it almost echoes that. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they come for me. And then it goes on to say, in the presence. We always want God to deliver us away from our enemies and away from all of the junk going on in our life. But that says, in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. That God is a steady, constant river of peace and blessing flowing through, carrying us through the midst of whatever is going on in our lives. And then verse 8 through 11 is this invitation that says, hey, God is a proven help. Here's how he's proven himself. Now here's your invitation to trust God. It says, come, behold the works of the Lord. Because if I take time to behold who God is, if I take time to behold the works of the Lord, guess what? It will change me. And what I'm about to say, is, I think it sounds maybe a little new agey and I don't mean it to sound that way, but what you behold is what you become. And I don't mean it in this way. Like, if you think about money enough, you'll be rich. That's not true, okay? It's not whatever you think about, you get, right? But if you think, About what you are thinking about, you will think about those things more. If you are constantly negative and complaining, it will reproduce itself in your life and you will constantly be complaining and be negative. But if you are thinking about the things of God, then even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of trial in your life, you will first think about the things of God. It's like in Philippians. When Paul says, do not worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And then he goes on to say, don't worry about these things, but anything that is noble, anything that is right, anything that is of good character, anything that is righteous, think on these things things and here's why because if you think on these things you will continue to think on these things and these things will continue to mold you in the way that God wants you to be molded but if you're constantly thinking about all of the struggles in your life rather than giving them up to God that's where you'll stay so think on the things that are good think on the things that are heavenly think on the things that are godly And that's where you will be, even in the midst of trouble. When I am intentional about beholding the things of God, it puts everything in my life into perspective. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. That's soul rest. That is peace. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Peace. He burns the chariots with fire. Peace. And then in verse 10, it's actually quoted from God Himself. God says this. That's the only part in the whole Psalms that is quoted from God. He says this Be still. It's actually translated. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. He was telling the nation of Israel in the midst of war, don't fight. Just trust. And I've needed to hear that. And I think you need to hear it. Stop fighting and know that I am God. Essentially, stop fighting and let God be God. Does God need your help? Or does God want your trust? And then I want you to notice the emphasis that I put on these next three I statements that God says about himself. Stop fighting, be still, and know that I, not you, not me, that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then it ends again with that reminder, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Over in 1 Kings 19, there's a pretty awesome account of when God is speaking to Elijah. And things are not going well in Elijah's life at this time. It goes like this. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. You can't get much worse than that. Like, Elijah's life is on the line. He's running for his life. It's like the earth is crumbling around him. And he says, God, this is why I'm out here. And what does God say? He says, go stand before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. God speaks to Elijah in this whisper. And Elijah's response is to cover his face because he knows he's in the presence of God. He's hearing from God. And I heard this said one t- recently as I was studying for this. Um, and sometimes you know it's those like really simple things that you hear that become the most profound. Like I heard this and I've been thinking about it all week long. And I think it's the point that God wanted to make to Elijah because so often we look for answers to our prayers when we're crying out to God, when we need that soul rest that we're talking about. We look for answers to our prayers in these big, magnificent ways, right? I heard this. Why does God whisper? Because he is close. Because he is close. And I think he wanted Elijah to know that. Draw close to me, and I will whisper with you. Five, six, seven years ago, Heather and I um, were going through this time in life that was just hard. It is actually one of the hardest times that we've been through in our marriage, in our family life, in ministry. Um, Ministry was tough. Being a parent was super hard, Um, harder than it is on a regular basis, but it was really hard, and that put a lot of strain on our marriage. And so it just got to the point that where we were at, they were very gracious to us to give us a month off. And so we took a month off, and during that time, we went to counseling. And so in one of our counseling sessions, I will never forget this because it had a profound impact on me. It was another one of those things that you just hear. It's really simple, but I just I think about this so often. Uh, we were sitting there, and Heather was describing to, to, to our counselor, saying, man, it just feels like we are in a deep, muddy pit. And every time that we try to get out of that pit, we get deeper into it. And our attempts to get out of that pit are crying out to God, asking God to change our life, asking God to change our circumstances. Anything, God, just speak to us, answer us, because we felt like we were not hearing from God at all. And our counselor said this. He said, what if Jesus just wants to sit in the pit with you for a while? And when I first heard that, I was like, oh, man, it gave me so much rest. But over the years, I've thought about that. Like, is that actually true? When I cry out to God, does he just join me in the pit? Or should I expect him to pull me out of the pit? Like, what's real? What's true here? Right? But as I thought about that, I thought about, man, that really does go with the fact that God loves me so much that he wants to be with me, and he wants me to desire to be close to him. And so I read that account of Elijah and it begs the question in my life, like, hey Nick, no matter what is going on in your life, if I answer your prayers the way that you want me to answer them or not, are you content with just being with me? Are you content With me just being close enough to whisper. And that has been a huge challenge for me. It's been a challenge for me in the past when life gets hard and I'm crying out for God and I'm just like, God, I just want to hear from you. And He is just beckoning me to just stop fighting, be still let me be close to you. Is that enough for you? You say, but Nick, that's the problem, is that things don't seem to work out the way that I ask God to work them out. And that is true. They don't always seem to work out the way that we want them to work out, does it? I mean, for instance, like, my wife and I, We got married, and we had prayed about how many kids we were going to have, and like we even named some of them before they were born, and um, all this stuff. And our plan was to be married for five years, to enjoy each other, and then to have kids. Well, our first kid was born uh, just after our second anniversary, so we were like, yeah, whatever, we'll just have them all, right? And so, in the long run, and where we are right now in life, I look back and I'm like, thank you, God, for your timing, right? Because now at our church, like, we have a ton of kids that are in that age group. And we now know the people that we know because of our kids in a lot of arenas in our life. So I look back and I say, man, God, your timing was perfect. And so you would think, because God has this reputation for being right, (laughs) that I would listen and that I would not try to prove him wrong, right? But we struggle with that. And so the question becomes, where is my heart? Because if I am trusting God, even if my situation does not come out the way that I want it to come out, I can be confident that it will come out the way that God wants it to come out. And that, by far, is best. What is the desire of my heart? And so why do people struggle? Like, why do I struggle? Why do you struggle to really believe that, to really believe that God is in control and that you can believe and trust that he loves you and that he wants what is best for you and even more, he knows what is best for you. Why is that such a struggle? I am convinced for most of us it is because of a lack of intentional listening in silence to God. Because if real rest, if the real kind of rest that we need is soul rest, man, I'm not very good at that. And if I could get good at being intentional about wiping the slate and just focusing on time, intentionally listening to God. It would change a whole lot of things in my life. And so when we got into this um, church planting thing, Heather's uncle is a church planter and he um, has planted three or four churches before. And one thing he said to me, he said, Nick, this will be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. True. He also said, because of that, you are going to have to find time, make time to refresh yourself in God regularly. Right? And so that has kind of been a goal of mine, is to figure out how in the craziness of life do I get good at practicing listening to God in the silence. And I'm still trying to work that out in my life because it's still really hard. But just practically, I just want to share a few things with you that that it has done in my life that I pray that it can do for your your life in the coming year. Number one is that it will transition you from being self-focused to other's and God-focused because the more time we spend listening to God in the silence and hearing what he wants to tell us, it shifts our thoughts off of ourselves and getting what we want to getting what God wants. Number two, in prayer as we pray and trust God, it will begin to align our hearts with God's rather than the other way around. Because so often I feel like people are like, oh yeah, God's just my errand boy. Like, hey, pray for whatever you want in Jesus' name and you'll get it, right? I don't think that's what he meant. Because he also said pray according to his will and it will be given to you. And I think the the will of God for us is God's glory and is God getting what he wants through our lives. And so as I pray intentionally, I begin to get shifted, and I begin to start thinking and desiring the things of God, and my heart aligns with God's heart, rather than just saying, God, give me, give me, give me, I want, I want, I want, do this for me, and then getting upset with him when he doesn't. It's not to align God's heart with ours, it's to align our hearts with God's. And then from experience, when you get super busy, and things seem to be falling apart around you, you you don't feel so ragged and run down. That's the third thing. You won't feel so ragged and run down because you are constantly saying, God, I just lay this before you. You give me strength. You are my refuge. You are my strength. I can trust you. You are a proven help in time of need, so I don't need to be so worn out. Because when you get soul rest, It rejuvenates you like physical rest never will. You could get soul rest and keep on going. Physical rest is only of some value, but soul rest is of all value. And then the last one, we would learn what his voice sounds like. Because Jesus says that his sheep know his voice, right? But even a sheep can fail to spend time intentionally with Jesus, and we start to forget what he sounds like. You ever been there? You want so desperately to hear from God for God to answer your prayers, but even if he did, you wouldn't know what it sounded like because you haven't been spending time with him. I've been there before and it's a constant challenge to me. I need to know what God sounds like so i got to spend time intentionally listening to him. And so a day, like specifically today, is the last day of 2017. And so tomorrow, so many people are going to start their New Year's resolutions. And if they're physical resolutions, you'll say, I'll start tomorrow, right? (laughs) Because tomorrow's New Year's and we eat whatever we want. But you're going to make all these resolutions. Some of them are going to be physical resolutions. Some of them are going to be business revolutions, resolutions. Some of them are going to be family-oriented resolutions. But if you have not made a spiritual New Year's resolution yet, my challenge to you would be to make it this. That this year, you will focus on intentionally creating those moments in your life where you can receive soul rest. Because here's your take-home truth. I've said it once already, but I want you to get this. Real rest is soul rest. And soul rest is only found in the creator of rest. Itself. When was the last time you were able to listen to God in the silence and receive soul rest? And so we're going to have this time, these moments here, where we get to come and we get to take communion. And this is a time when we all get to come together and have this spiritual meal to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And thinking about rest, what Jesus did for us on the cross goes to the heart of the very biggest need for rest that all of humanity could ever have. Because you may be here this morning and you're, you're like, man, if only I could experience that soul rest. Man, life would change. You may be here And you've already given, surrendered your life to Jesus, repented of your sins, and taken him as your savior, right? And you know you're on your way to heaven, but you just haven't spent much time getting that soul rest that you need. You haven't spent much time lately in the presence of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have, and you're still weary and you're still tired. Maybe God has given you that soul rest. Maybe you're here this morning, and when I say words like be saved or salvation or surrender your life to Jesus, you have no idea what I mean. The truth of the matter is that at our very basic need is what Romans 3.23 says is is that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And until you deal with, with the fact that you have fallen short of the glory of God, you will never find rest, or better word, restoration for your soul. And so if you are here this morning and you've never dealt with your sin with Jesus, and gone to him and understood that the reason that he came to earth was not just to be born as a baby and experience the things that we've experienced. It was actually to grow up, live a perfect life because he is God, and then die so that your soul could be restored to rightness with God. Without Jesus, we are bound for hell. With Jesus, we have experienced are at the basic level, but most important level, rest and restoration for our souls. And so we're gonna pray and the band is gonna come out and they're gonna play some music and there's gonna be people coming to the tables up in front and the tables in the back. And so if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then come and take that meal with us. And if you still are unsure about what to do with Jesus, if you're not sure that you're going to heaven when you die, if you don't know what all that means, this is a time to observe from your seat and just think about what's going on. Everybody's going to be walking everywhere, so don't feel awkward about that. But I challenge you to think. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You don't have to know any more about this book or about God except for the fact that you need Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sin. And so if that's you today, while everyone else is going up and you want to do that, you can either take the card out of the seat in front of you, fill it out, and put it in the boxes as you leave and someone will contact you. Or we'll be up front. You can can find me or you can find one of the elders if you know who they are. You can find the person that brought you here. But deal with that today because your biggest need for rest is soul restoration today. And for everybody in the room that has put their faith in Jesus to be saved, man, that's what God wants, is to be close to you this morning. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons. Thanks for listening.